All right, welcome to the conclusion of the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to look at Luke 24, 36 through 53, and it's the, the final moment in the story of Luke's Gospel, but not the final moment in Luke's telling of the Jesus story, because there's a whole second volume that we call the Book of Acts. In this section, however, here at the end of Luke's Gospel, it's still Resurrection Sunday. That's at least the first little bit of it, is still Resurrection Sunday. The disciples, including the apostles, are gathered in Jerusalem. Cleopas and his companion have returned from walking with the resurrected Jesus and then eating a meal with him and finally recognizing him in the breaking of bread. They've recounted their experience to the gathering of disciples there in the upper room. The others have shared how Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus. And I personally can't imagine what it was like to be together that evening on Resurrection Sunday as they began sharing their stories. And then I can imagine the women saying, yeah, you see, that's what we were telling you clear back this morning and that's what the angel said and everyone's smiling and laughing but they still don't totally get it figured out. They're still struggling to put it all together and so it gets better than even just them all sharing their story. Look what happens. Luke 24 verse 36. Now while they were telling each other these things, Jesus himself suddenly stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. And so Jesus, here they are in the upper room. We know from uh, John's gospel that the doors are locked, right? So they're in an upper room behind closed doors. There's weird rumors going on. They're for safety. They've got the doors locked. And suddenly Jesus stands in the room and he greets them with the standard Jewish greeting. Shalom, peace be to you. And the suddenness of his arrival out of thin air behind closed doors startles them and actually scares them. Look at verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And so they have these stories, they have these encounters, and all of a sudden he shouldn't be in the room. He just appears out of thin air and they're still trying to put all the pieces together and that's just not normally how bodies work, right? Like appearing out of thin air. And so even though they're Jews, even though they have a solid understanding of resurrection and that it's going to be a physical thing, resurrection for the Jews was always physical. It was always bodily. So as Jews, they have this solid understanding of the resurrection. They didn't think it was going to happen in the middle of history Resurrection for them was an in-time sort of thing at the very end of time. And so Jesus doesn't totally fit that. But they know what resurrection is. But the fact that Jesus suddenly appears out of thin air doesn't fit. And so they think they're seeing some sort of spirit or something. The resurrection of Jesus exceeds all their expectations and all their categories. And so they can't quite figure it out. And so in what follows in the story that Luke's going to tell us, Jesus and Luke in telling us this story will emphasize the physicalness of Jesus's resurrection body, even though it has some different properties. Look what happens. Verse 38. And he, Jesus, said to them, why are you frightened? And why are doubts arising in your heart? Doubts meaning like double-mindedness, like this wrangling, like, wait a second, this isn't quite right. They're trying to figure it out. Okay, that's what we're getting at. And Jesus says this to them, verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it's 
I myself, touch me and see, because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. And so Jesus is inviting them to experience his physicalness. He's physical. He wants them to know that, right? Like, look at my hands. These are real hands. You can see the scars in my wrist. Look at my feet. You can see the scars there as well. Touch me. He invites them to, look, feel me. I'm not a spirit. I'm solid. I'm just as physical as you. I'm just a different kind of physical than you. And so he says, because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you plainly see that I have. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still couldn't believe it because of their joy and astonishment, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they served him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in front of them. Again, offering further proof of his physicality. He's eating food. He's that physical. He's, he's solid. He's physical. He has a body. He eats, right? He can be touched. This is no vision. This is no spirit or no ghost. It's really him. As he himself said, it's me, myself. Look, he's wanting them to realize it's really me. It's really me. And they're struggling with it all, even though they're full of joy and amazement. And so just as he had done for the two on the road to Emmaus, he does again here. He shows them how the scriptures point to himself. Look at verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's that three-part division of the Hebrew scriptures for the Jews. The law of Moses, Torah, the prophets, Nevi'im, and the Psalms, the Ketuvim, the writings, right? Tanakh. And so he says all of this stuff written in our scriptures must be fulfilled that and what they say about me. And so then he leads them on a Bible study together that night, and Jesus shows them how the scriptures are all fulfilled in himself, and how the scriptures also then lead to the mission that he's going to commission them to. And so verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He showed them the way. He walked them through it. He gave them the framework. He helped them to see um, the scriptures rightly and read them well. And he said to them, verse 46, so it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And so the specific focus of that Bible study was opening their minds to read the scriptures as one long story that weaves and winds its way to Jesus, including his suffering, including his rising from the dead. That doesn't negate him being the Messiah. It fulfills what the scriptures actually said the Messiah was all about. And so he shows them that. And once uh, the apostles, once the disciples have this framework that Jesus gave them this night, all the scriptures open up to them. And you can see it in uh, Luke's second volume in the book of Acts. And as they preach and as they teach, they see, they take some, probably some of those same scriptures that Jesus used them on this night, and they, they, they help other people see how they point to the Messiah and how Jesus really does fit the story of the Messiah. And so now they have the framework, and they can see uh, the clues and the connections to Jesus everywhere in the scriptures. And not only that, since Messiah has come in Jesus, well, what else does that mean? Look at verse 37. Jesus tells them as he does this Bible study with them, verse 47, since he's the Messiah, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name 
to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus not only showed them how the scriptures pointed to himself, but how in pointing to himself, now it's time to carry out the very mission that those scriptures pointed them towards. And so they must start in Jerusalem and tell the story of the Messiah and how he has brought repentance for forgiveness of sins, not only for the Jews, but to all the nations. And that word nations is the same word Gentiles, all right? So when you hear nations, whether Hebrew in the Old Testament or Greek in the New, it's the word for nations or Gentiles. And so this is going to go to all the Gentiles. This is going to go to all the nations. And part two of Luke's story, what we call the book of Acts, tells how this happened, how it went from Jerusalem to all the nations. And so he says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What's the promise of the father? Well, the promise of the father, though it's not made explicit here, it is made explicit at the beginning of Acts and the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. And so when he says clothed from power with power from on high, he's referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. So I'm sending you out. You're going to be witnesses of these things. I'm going to empower you with the promise of the Father, i.e. the Holy Spirit to do this. And because this message is to go out from Jerusalem, they need to stay there in Jerusalem until the Spirit is poured out and the time has arrived for them to begin carrying out the mission. Now, just a side note here, we know from the other Gospels that there are plenty of other resurrection appearances of Jesus than the three mentioned here at the end of Luke's Gospel. And not only that, we also know that Luke knew that too. Luke knew there were plenty of other resurrection appearances because at the very beginning of Acts, Luke mentions 40 days of resurrection appearances. And so that reminds us that Luke is just summarizing here. He's summarizing the story. And so sometimes uh, critics or even scholars have wrestled with, how do you put Luke's version with Matthew's version? And how does that fit with John's version, right? And Jesus in Galilee, and then he's in Jerusalem, right? How do you put it all together? We just need to recognize that Luke knows there were 40 days of appearances. He knows the stories that are recorded in some of the other Gospels. He's just not including them in his Gospel. And we know that because Luke mentions that in Acts chapter 1. And so he's summarizing. He's summarizing these three stories as part of his story to really set up what's going to happen in volume 2, the book of Acts. And so at this point, Luke is done telling us about the post-resurrection stories. He's ready to wrap up his gospel and launch us into volume two. And so he says in verse 50 that he, Jesus, led them as far out as Bethany. So he leads them out into uh, the hillside up near the town of Bethany, the Mount of Olives area. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. So he's pronouncing a blessing over his disciples in this moment. Verse 51, while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually praising God in the temple. Just a couple of notes. Luke is the only author to describe what we call the ascension. That's what's mentioned here. Jesus being carried up into heaven and being taken away from them. We call that the ascension, but Luke's the only author to actually describe it. It seems like for Luke, this is a key transition 
really to the rest of the story that's contained in the book of Acts. And so Luke mentions the ascension of Jesus here, and he also mentions it in Acts chapter 1, and it becomes the launching pad then for their mission to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to all the ends of the earth there in the book of Acts. Later, the letters will describe this moment, this thing called the ascension here, the letters will describe it as Jesus being seated at the right hand of God as king and victor. And so here, Luke describes that for us as Jesus is blessing them. He is parted from them in some way, and he's, uh, he ascends. He's exalted into heaven as king and victor. And don't miss the connection then with the beginning of the book of Acts. Luke and Acts, as we've noted multiple times, is one two-volume work. And this ending of Luke overlaps with the beginning of Acts to tie the two together. And so you get the, the story of Jesus and his ascension here. You get it in Acts because it ties those two books together so that we can see it as one two-volume work. Now, as we wrap up this story and then the whole gospel, let me just offer just a couple of reflections. The first is this, resurrection and mission that the two go together. And we see that here as Jesus opens their minds to the scriptures, helps them see who he is in appearing to them post-resurrection. Jesus essentially says, now it's time for the mission that the scriptures talked about, that when Messiah came, that uh, the Gentiles, the nations are going to flock into the people of God. That day has come. And so I'm sending you out and I'm going to have the Father pour out the Spirit on you so that you'll be empowered for that job. And Acts chapter 1 will tell the same story and make the same point. That resurrection leads to mission. Since Jesus is resurrected as Messiah and Lord, it's time to carry forward his mission of inviting all people in and bringing repentance unto the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And that's the reason the church has invested so much time, so much energy, so much resource, so much uh, life-giving and blood and sacrifice into sharing the news about Jesus. is because the goal is to extend to all the nations the amnesty, the forgiveness of sins that they can have in coming and submitting to King Jesus as the risen Lord of all all the world. And so resurrection leads to mission. And then the, just a few thoughts as we wrap up Luke's gospel in total. Uh, and that's this, that this theme of mission to all people is really a fitting culmination. Luke has emphasized in the gospel here uh, that Jesus' kingdom is for everybody. It's for the last and the lost and the least, uh, as well as the first and the most and the found. There's been an emphasis on the marginalized people and people who weren't treated as well. It, there's been an emphasis on women and children and foreigners and tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. There's been this emphasis as well as there's been a mention of synagogue rulers and wealthy leaders like Joseph of Arimathea that the good news about Jesus being king and Lord and offering forgiveness of sins is for everybody, regardless of where they fall on the religious spectrum, the social spectrum, right? The moral spectrum doesn't matter. Um, it is for everybody. And so as Luke turns 
the page from his first volume to his second volume, and we begin the book of Acts, Luke will tell the story of how the message about Jesus spread from Jerusalem and 120 Jewish followers of his all the way to the heart of empire, to Rome itself, where the story of Jesus and the good news of his kingship is being proclaimed right there in the very city of Caesar himself.